Greetings, Earthlings. Welcome to Astrology and Stuff, where we try to talk about serious subjects without taking ourselves too seriously. I'm your host and sacred clown, Sanpriti. Thank you for being here. Welcome to episode two. Um, I'm happy to have you. We are fresh off this Leo full moon. And if you'd like to know more about that, go ahead and hop on over to my Patreon uh, for the Astrology and Stuff podcast. We have two tiers over there for support. The first tier is only $3 a month. It's uh, simply a support system. If you'd like to keep hearing episodes, if you'd like to know more, if you'd like to engage with some Q&A, feel free to hop on that tier. And if you'd like bonus episodes each and every week. You can uh, get the $5 a month tier, um, which gets you exactly that. Every Monday, I put out bonus episodes that cover the upcoming week's transits and how they may be affecting you. And I just released the first one this morning on the Patreon. And um, since we had a Leo full moon yesterday on Sunday, Um, It is indeed talking a lot about unpacking that whole diva. (laughs) But uh, welcome to this episode. We're going to be covering natal charts. We're going to be diving deeply into the technology, the structure, the communication uh, tool that is our natal chart. You might know this as um, as an astrology chart, a birth chart. I tend to say natal chart uh, most. Um, so what is your experience with your natal chart? Do you even have an experience with your natal chart? Is this your first experience with the concept, the structure of a natal chart? Well, we covered some of this in uh, episode one last week, um, but to to uh, kind of go over broad stroke it, um, we can say that a natal chart is a snapshot of sorts of the sky the minute you were born, the minute you became independent of your mother, you became your own thing entirely, and I go much more deeply into um, how and why we care about that in that episode. So if you're kind of um, confused at this point, I suggest going back and listening to episode one before you dive into this episode. So the structure of a natal chart, let's start there. Actually, no, let's not start there. Let's refer to our notes first, Simpriti, and... um, And then we'll start with where do I get a natal chart? So maybe you are, um, maybe you've never seen your natal chart before, but you kind of vaguely know what they look like, et cetera. Where does one uh, get their natal chart? Um, Simply Google free natal chart. (laughs) Uh, That's that's the best bet. Um, There are a couple of tried and true uh, websites and Here's an aside. Sorry about this. If you hear yes meowing or even scratching um, in the background, that is one of my other cats, Squint. Uh, last week we had Berta 
doing her squeaks, and this is Squint, and he he's actually a lot more aggro, so he's actually clawing at the at the door. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, so you can go to websites like Astrodienst, A S T R O D I E N S T. They are, I believe, a German uh, company, and they have free. You just plug in your date of birth your location of birth, and your time of birth. And we'll get to that birth time. Uh, I have a lot to say about that birth time, and people have a lot of questions about their birth time here in a couple of minutes. Um, and if you are listening to this this podcast and you're really kind of just being bitten by the astrology bug, I honestly suggest investing, um, taking a couple of months and investing in an app. Um, I personally and I'm not sponsored by anything, uh, yet. (laughs) Um, I personally love the Chani app, C-H-A-N-I app. Um, it's Chani Nicholas's, uh, personal app. Um, I think she rolled it out 20, late 2021. I hopped on last year, 2022. Um, and it is, it is the perfect, um, mix or the perfect spot on the spectrum of of not very personalized to very very personalized. I think she just hit the nail on the head or she and her company hit the nail on the head as far as getting that mix of affordability and you know individualization. And um so for the the monthly I think I pay I think 20 bucks a month, 12 or 20 dollars a month. It is worth it because I check it every day. Um, I get a weekly reading. I get a um, a weekly reading that is specific to my rising sign. And there are um, journal prompts. There's a bunch of meditations. There's a lot of audio. There's a lot of audio content. And um, I just, I, my hat goes off to her uh, for how much she's done to make this type of work accessible and as a daily practice of embodiment. Um, so yes, that's the Chani app. You can find find it in the App Store, Google Apps, um, I think everywhere. Um, and if you're looking to get a lot, if you're, if you're kind of in pro mode, um, my favorite app that I use for generating charts um, for myself, for others, for transits, for events, et cetera, um, is Astro Gold, and it's I, I paid thirty five bucks once, and I use it every day, multiple times a day. It's very, very usable, and it has all the asteroids too. If you're into that, um, so let's get back into uh, let's let's get back into the natal chart itself, and specifically, let's talk about birth times. So one of the three main pieces of, um, of information that you're going to need to even generate a birth chart is your birth time. There are, that, that's probably the number two um, question that I get specifically from people who don't have their birth time. They don't know how to get their birth time. They maybe have a false birth time. Um and they don't have a lot of confidence in it. They're like, is this, like, is astrology even 
do I even do astrology if I don't have a birth time? It's like, absolutely, absolutely. Astrology, if you're interested in astrology, you want to learn more about yourself. There is so much that you have access to that does not include a birth time. That does not need a birth time, I should say. Um, and if you are continuing to want literally everything, if you, if you can't stop thinking about, um, about what your rising sign is because your rising sign or your ascendant and the placement of the signs and the planets within your chart, um, that these two things are dependent upon your birth time. Um, and then if you want to get into human design, you can't do, you know, that it is very prohibitive. Uh, human design is very prohibitive if you don't have your birth time. Um, you can, uh, there's just a whole variety of things that you can do. For me, uh, for my kids rather, their birth times were not on their, um, on their birth certificates. Uh, I had to go into go to the hospital, you know, contact the hospital, get medical records and their birth times were available on their actual medical records. So if you have your birth certificate, or even if you don't have your birth certificate, or if you have no way of getting your birth birth certificate, try, um, getting your medical records from, uh, from the hospital. Okay. Um, the next option is going to be a little bit more expensive and it's going to be expensive money-wise and time-wise and energy-wise is to get a birth time rectification. And that, what that is, is these are astrologers. I am not one of these astrologers. Um, These are astrologers who have a very specific set of skills, uh, to quote Liam Neeson, (laughs) um, that they utilize to gain access to your birth time as close as possible. Uh, It is intuitive. It is astrology dependent. It is deductive. Um, They use their powers of deduction and and, um, uh, inquiry as well as an intuitive. And every astrologer is different with this. Every astrologer has a different, who does this, has a different method. Um, Now, what I will say is I would be, when it comes to a natal chart, an astrological natal chart, I would be very confident in, like if I needed my birth time, I would just, you know, find the right astrologer for me who could do this birth time rectification. I, um, as far as human design goes, because there's simply just so much more detail, like down to the second with human design, um, I would advise to seek out a, a birth time rectification specialist who specializes in human design. And more and more and more of those are becoming available. Um, so be patient and know that there are resources and know that resources are coming to you. And in the meantime, um, you have so much that you can study. You have so much that you can dive into that is independent of a birth time. Believe me. I like telling people, I could talk with you for weeks about your chart without needing 
your birth time. There is so much there. There's a lifetime's worth of information there. Okay, so let's get into the structure of the natal chart. So if you haven't already, Google natal chart. If you have access to your own natal chart, I'd advise pulling that up while you listen along, if you're not driving, obviously. Uh, If you're driving, wait. (laughs) If you're moving, operating heavy machinery, multitasking, wait. (laughs) Um, So you'll see it looks like it's a circle. And to me, it looks like a a big pie that's been cut into slices um, or a pizza that's been cut into slices. And depending, depending on the app or the website that you're using, these um, details of this pie will look different depending on the brand, um, but the main gist is going to be there. So I'm working from memory from the Astro Gold app. Um, and so you, you'll you see when you see the, the, the pie slices, you'll see that there are 12 of them. Sometimes there's a ring in the very, in the center of the, um, of the wheel itself that is, that has the numbers inside that ring that depicts each slice. Uh, sometimes the numbers are on the outside. It just depends. So we start at, so pretend that you're looking at the face of a clock. We start at nine o'clock and we, and the numbers that, which depict the pie slices, um, they progress anti-clockwise. So you're going to start at nine o'clock and you're going to start to go down and to the right and then up, you know, three o'clock up and to the left until you come back to nine o'clock, anti-clockwise, counterclockwise. And these numbers progress from one to 12. So each, there are 12 pie slices some of you may have um, pictures that where the, the pie slices are equal in size and others may have pie slices where like one big, there's one huge piece and then there's like a sliver over there, but there's always going to be 12. Now, pausing here, why would there be bigger pie, pie slices than others in some charts? And then why are some charts all equal sized? Well, here's a, very short detour um, going into kind of the, the the dry details of how to read a chart and how different astrologers use different um, different ways of of reading a chart and there it's it's all about how you how the houses or sections of the chart are expressed um, you might hear or read uh, words like placidus or porphyry or whole sign or equal sign. Um, these are all simply different ways that astrologers can use to divide up the basically the sky as it's depicted in your natal chart. Um, and these are, like I've heard of, uh, like online, you know, astrology, astrologer, uh, message boards, like that, like getting whole threads and whole message boards deleted because these astrologers 
and these, you know, students of astrology were getting so fired up and so angry and so upset over this debate of which house model to use. And um, we don't do that here. We don't, we don't mess around with that. We don't get that serious, remember? <laughs> I do off, sometimes get the question, you know, what house system do you use? And, and I say, I, I use the one that makes the most sense to me. I use the one that speaks to me in the loudest voice. And it's, I do the same thing with like tarot decks and basically anything intuitive. I go to where the loudest voice is and where I'm getting the clearest frequency, the clearest message. Um, I personally use Placidus, um, and that Chani app, you know, Chani Nicholas, the app that I use every single day, she uses whole sign. So it's, um, and I'm fine with that. And if I need to kind of, if, if I'm getting, you know, listening to my reading for the week and she says one thing that I know, you know, through the, through the app, through the whole sign system, you know, this sign rules that house. I just kind of translate it uh, to the other, you know, the, the system that I use myself. And sometimes I don't because sometimes the message that I'm getting, even though that in my brain, cancer rules both my first and second houses, when I hear Chani's voice saying, you know, it's the Leo full moon, you know, Leo rules your second house. I could say, no, it doesn't, Chani. Or I, and, and be kind of uh, very rigid about it. Or I could, you know, open my mind. I was like, okay, let's pretend that, let's pretend both are true. Because both are true. These are not set in stone, capital T, truths. These are different dialects of a language that we are utilizing to amplify our experience of, of our experience and of our expression of who we are. So even though astrology is, you know, deeply rooted in numbers and in specificities, I don't have to be rigid within those specificities, uh, mostly because it doesn't make me feel good. It does not turn me on. It's an absolute turnoff and I start to get controlling. So find, if it even matters to you, find the house system that speaks most to you and do it because it feels good. And maybe in a couple of months, you learn something different or you get turned on by a different house system and you can try that on for size. This is play. This is dress up. This is costume design so that we can formulate an experience of the reality that best serves us. Okay, rant somewhat over. So those are house systems. So what the fuck is a house? What's a house, Sampriti? Um, houses are the fancy pants way to term, you know, term those pie slices in your natal chart. Okay, they're just the the, the twelve sections in your natal chart. Why? Why are they there? What do they communicate to us? The houses are sections of how to how to compartmentalize the different parts of you. Now, as with everything else in astrology, you, uh, astrology describes many different densities 
I'll use that word, of you, capital Y-U. We can be talking about you uh, in your corporeal body, your physicality. We could be talking about you in your emotional self, okay? We could be talking about referencing your actual lifetime development, like your incarnational development from infancy to whenever you pass away, okay? You comprises very dense things like uh, digestion and hormones and muscles and nervous tissue all the way across the other side of the spectrum to not very dense things, your soul, okay? Your spiritual growth, uh, et cetera. So the houses are these sections of of, um, different areas of evolution, different, sometimes progressive, sometimes outside of time, (laughs) things that happen in different areas of your life, okay? Um, So, okay, I'll take this aside. So progression, moving from 1 to 12, moving from... Aries to Pisces, moving from the first house to the 12th house. Uh, when you look at your at your chart, you're seeing numbers move in, in progression, 1 to 12. When we look at the zodiac, we see a progression of signs from Aries to Pisces. Many, 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 many Uh, languages, dialects, uh, ways of expressing astrology um, take a very hierarchical, take the hierarchical way of experiencing this progression, okay? Uh, To put it in plainer terms, um, our patriarchal system of being, of thought, of expression, of creating is very, like if you think about like the hero's journey, um, you know, we start out as, as, you know, somebody who has a need and we don't know a lot or we can't do much and we want to, we want to know more. We want to do more. We want to save ourselves. We want to save the town, whatever, whatever the story is. And we go on this hero's journey and we move through specific trials and tribulations. Um, we get whatever the treasure is. We save the princess or God knows what else. Um, and princess Fiona and we, um, we come back to the town and we are made we are completely different because of this journey that we, the hero have gone on, right? It's, we can, we can definitely allow our egos to get attached to pre-journey is not as good as post-journey. The beginning of the journey is worse, more powerless than the end of the journey and the journey itself, the progression through the numbers, the progression through the signs themselves is one that we have to do if we are to transcend wherever we are now. And especially uh, if you read like older books, not even older books, but 
present, you know, modern astrologers who are influenced by older ways of, you know, philosophical thinking, etc., um, Western and Eastern philosophy, that things are here to be transcended. Our bodies are here to be transcended. Um, our, and transcended meaning we must overcome. We must, you know, we are in an unfit state now. We desire something else. Therefore, we need to do what we can to overcome our own limitations and get to that other place. And, you know, as somebody who was raised uh, various flavors of Christian, um, it was very, um, you know, this body is something to be endured and dominated uh, so that we can just get through this life and get to heaven where the real living is. And that's a, that's a, a method of, it's a philosophy that communicates, you know, what I'm trying to communicate is that, um, this is a, a way of thinking that, and being, uh, that permeates so much of our non-conscious, you know, our very, um, unconscious, uh, unawake world, but it also permeates most of the quote unquote conscious self-development, self-improvement rhetoric that were, I mean, that's all self-improvement. If we want to break it down really, you know, deeply, fundamentally, get into the fundamentals of self-improvement, what is improvement if it's not trying to get trying to work through wherever we are in order to get somewhere else. So I don't, uh, I don't buy that. (laughs) I've, I've actually worked really hard and most of that has just been crying (laughs) around. Um, and, I, and obviously, I don't have a lot of language around, well, what else is there? But the language that I do have gets distilled down to unconditional self-acceptance and unconditional self-love. And as long as whatever journey this hero is on, um, as long as it is rooted in a breath-to-breath practice of accepting myself and loving myself for who I am in this moment, the journey, it kind of takes care of itself. Yes, the improvement happens. Yes, I am in some... Outside of the paradigm of like, you sucked before. Do you want to continue sucking? Then no, then do this. So you won't suck anymore. We've been, we and generations behind, you know, before us have been sold that bill of goods that in order to self-improve, in order to manifest, to use that word, in order to achieve a state of where we just feel better in ourselves, in our, in our world, in our lives, in our relationships, we've got to somehow shit on the thing, the person that we were before. Because how could you have made that decision, you stupid piece of blah, blah, blah. So that 
vibe, <laughs> again, is not, um, it's not conducive to actual self-improvement. It's not conducive to actual um, shift, actual manifestation of the desires of your higher self, of your already healed self, of your completely whole self. So when we are engaging in that self-improvement, it's really, really interesting. And my favorite resource for this kind of nitty-gritty, uh, kind of mind-bending intentionality is P the Fairy. Uh, she's P-E-A, the Fairy, F-E-A-R-Y. On in, she's on Instagram. They are, excuse me. Uh, they have they, them pronouns. They are on Instagram. Um, they have incredible content and, and they just, they have a, a language again, an identifiability and a language and a way to talk about this. Um, because moving forward into, into your natal chart, what do you think you're doing? You're engaging with yourself on all timelines. You're engaging with yourself as a small child, as a present day being, and you're, you have the ability to, like, you have all the information in front of you that you need, in theory, to, um, to vision, quote unquote, future parts of you. Um, while that got into the weeds, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Um, but that, all that to just send home. We aren't transcending anything. When we talk about the first house, or the first sign, Aries. Uh, a lot of a lot of content out there is gonna talk about immaturity, and that's not wrong. That's not wrong. But uh, be alert inside of your own experience on how you judge the immaturity. Are you how much is your ego involved, and what does it do to how do you feel? When you, because fuck, I'm an Aries son, and there's a lot of content out there, you know, calling me a baby, and I'm throwing tantrums and this and that, and I do that. <laughs> I can, I can honestly identify those parts of myself, um, and it's taken those roots of whatever relationship, you know, or whatever engagement I have of, you know to myself, being witnessed by reality, uh, truly witnessed and maybe called out and um, why, just be alert to why is this uncomfortable for me? Um, why do I feel shitty about this? Why do I, why am I judging immaturity? Why do I think it's not as good as like the wise sage as the other ones? Um, just stay real with yourself inside of your experience of your own natal chart inside it. As with any spiritual practice, it's going to, you can't go forward un, unless you are putting different parts of you in the right place, i.e. your ego. Okay. We're, and we're not here to get rid of the ego. The ego is incredibly important. We wouldn't be having a human experience if we didn't have the ego. But the ego is so good at telling you 
when things are not neutral, right? And when, when and if you desire a more neutral experience, um, the ego will point out to you what perhaps you're a little too attached to in the moment to, to ha- that's preventing you from having that nice neutral experience. And, you know, here's an, an aside aside. We don't have to like, we don't have to want a neutral experience all the time. Sometimes we want a little drama. Um, I say that coming off of the, the Leo full moon. So anyway, getting back to the nitty gritty of the, the houses. Um, so first house to the 12th house. When you look at your natal chart, unless you were born at um, a certain time of day, unless you're in Aries rising, then you're not going to have first house Aries, second house ruled by Taurus, third house ruled by Gemini. And depending on what house system you are, you may not even have that if, even if you are in Aries rising. Um, when I go through a natal chart with somebody, I make sure to talk about, or I try to remember, to talk about that there are different layers of expression, of the signs expressing themselves within the houses. And um, sometimes I'll say the natural expression or the foundational expression of the signs to mean that in, its mo- in the most fundamental ways, Aries as the first sign is always going to be the ruler of the first house. So when you look at your first house, you're no matter, like for me, an, an example, I'm a cancer rising. I don't have Aries in my, my first house, but I know that simply by default, the first house is going to have a natural like base layer coat of paint of Aries uh, and therefore the planet that rules it, Mars, but we'll get into the planets in a few minutes. Um and then on top of that layer, because I am a Cancer rising, I've got some Cancerian. I've got a lot of Cancerian flavors. So each house is ruled by a specific sign. And that just goes through the zodiac. So here we go. Aries rules the first house. Taurus rules the second house. Gemini rules the third house. Cancer rules the fourth house. Leo rules the fifth house. Virgo rules the sixth house. Uh, and then we get to the top. Uh, the top half of the chart. Uh, Libra rules the seventh house. Um, Scorpio rules the eighth. Sagittarius the ninth. Capricorn the tenth. Aquarius the eleventh. And Pisces the twelfth. So the houses themselves are all ruled by signs. And then on top of that, those houses within your own chart are ruled by specific signs depending on the time that you were born. And so that's why we go back to birth time you don't know your rising sign uh, and you don't know that kind of second thick coat of paint um, in those houses until you know what time you were born because the birth, why do we need to know the birth time? Because whatever, when, when the, whatever sign the sun was in as uh, at the, or, or whatever, excuse me, whatever sign was at the horizon, uh, depending on like which time of day or night you were born, that sign is your rising sign. And then the, the rest of the chart is going to be expressed depending upon that rising sign. So 
the houses themselves, they depict, like I said before, they depict different, they depict overall themes that can express themselves very differently in different layers of density in your life. So the first house is, um, it's, it's the, the self-identification. It's who, how we identify as self. Okay. It can also be, if we're, if we're working with chronology, the passage of time, first house placements can say a lot about infancy. Um, and 10th house, 10th house is way up at the top of the chart. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. The bottom half of the chart, the first six houses, the first six signs, these are all uh, subjective evolution. That's where our subjective evolution happens. I often say, it's just me and me in here. Um, we don't need a reflection of the world, you know, reality around us to involve ourselves in this, this level of evolution. It's Aries, Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, uh, Leo, Virgo, the first six signs. As soon as we, as Virgo mutates into, mutabilizes, <laughs> mutates into Libra, the sixth into the seventh, we jump up into that top half of the chart and suddenly we're in the objective uh, evolutionary phase. And that's when as within becomes so without. As within, so without. As below, so above. And that, that um, we have taken those first six signs, those first six houses, um, and created an internal reality. We've done our work. We've created the internal reality. And now physics and our beautiful natural law, laws of the universe is taking over. And we have projected that internal reality out into the world around us, this, this, um, this screen, like in a theater. And it's showing, it's playing it back to us via our relationships. And that very first sign of the second half, the objective half of the zodiac, is Libra. And Libra is where we learn all about the context, the process, the structure of relationship. And then the signs after it is, is us experiencing relationship to basically relationship to ourselves via the outer world in different sections of our life. And I mentioned the 10th house, the 10th house, look at that, find the 10th house. Um, in, in between the, the ninth and the 10th house, there's this line, the line that mark that marks demarcates between the ninth and the 10th house is called your midheaven. And there's another line and it may not be pointing straight up, uh, depending on what style and system you use. Um, but it's also between, always between the ninth and the 10th houses. And then opposite that mark marking the boundary between the third and the fourth houses are it. That's, that's another arrow. And it's just pointing straight down. These are what are called the MC and the IC, uh, of, of your charts. The MC is the mid heaven 
and the IC is the very, very bottom. I like to call the IC the navel. It's the very, very, very innermost, most, and, and what it, the expression of how this expresses in your life, in our human lives, are the, the IC, the very bottom, is the most private. It's the place in our chart that is not meant to be, we literally cannot, it's, it's physically impossible for us to experience this part of our chart as public. It's only private. Um, and then conversely, the midheaven is our most public elements. It's what is meant to be expressed in the most public way possible. It's where we are meant to be visible, the most visible. The, the IC is where we're meant to be most invisible. Um, and so that 10th house I mentioned, that a lot of times it, it immediately gets relegated to, oh, that's your career. Well, yes, and um, career just happens to be what this, um, I'm not using this this time as a dirty word, but our very capitalist system that's just neutral, it just, it is what it is. Our very capitalist way of living is, is assuming that your most public, um, your most public part of your life is going to be your career where you're most out in the world. And that to an extent, I don't, yeah, I agree with that. I fully, fully agree with it. How I personally like to experience 10th house is where am I at my, where am I perceived as, as my most successful? Where are other people kind of sitting back and being like, damn, she knows her shit. She's got this. Wow. Because, and I used to get, because I have a 10th house son. So I've done a lot of being with this and wrestling with this part of my life. Um, and I also have a 10th house moon. I just remembered. Yeah. <laughs> so my two main, my main peeps are in the 10th house and I go through massive periods of, of, I could call it hibernation of not feeling like I'm being seen by anybody, um, out there, out there in the world. However, as a mom, massive amounts of my time are, and my energy and my heart, my, 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 my passion are taken up with, uh, with my kids and as a spouse with, you know, with my, with my spouse, um, here at home, although I'm a cancer rising, and I have a lot of fourth house placements, cancer rules the first, fourth house, remember? Um, and so I used to get used to and still do just kind of with awareness now wrestle with this that, well, unless I have a job, unless I have a platform, unless I'm engaging with people and they're engaging me back, then I'm not being seen because of my 10th house sun and moon. And it's like, no, where do you experience success? Look at the people who are seeing you. Look at the people who are engaging with you every day. Look at the people who are experiencing you as an authority, as somebody who is successful. Look at the people who are coming to you for guidance because you they know you know your shit. 
and you are able, there's a bit of a throne, right? You, you may approach the throne. Where do you, so I'm, I'm asking y'all out there, where do you feel like you know your shit? Where do you, where are you kind of unafraid and unabashed towards, not, not necessarily like with a lot of ego, but um, the way that we talk about ego now, but with like, you got no problem showing up in this way. That's also 10th house. That's also, you know, Capricorn, who rules the 10th house. That's also Saturn, who rules Capricorn and is the natural ruler of the 10th house. Um, so I hope I'm, I'm getting across the layers of vibe and expression that we're getting with these houses. Um, and also, you know, kind of their, their segments, so first house is self-identification. I am. Second house is, is talents and re natural resources. Shit that we don't have to, that we fell out of the womb with, right? I have. I have this. I have that. These are my talents. These are my resources. This is Taurus, okay? Fixed earth Taurus. Um, third house, I think. I say. I speak. This is, this, is, uh, this is our Gemini, our third house. This is our mentation, how we receive information, how we process information, how we communicate information, what we speak into existence, our mental self. And then it's, our, then it's the fourth house, I feel. Fourth house is where we develop our emotional ability to internalize. Up until the fourth house, emotions don't exist because we don't have a place to internalize to. It's just all the same thing. But in the fourth house, sign of cancer, ruled by the moon, we are able to create the shell, the membrane that separates inner from outer. So for the first time, we have our own private place of internalization of what we think about things of what we and that this comes through as feelings as emotions okay um and fourth house cancer moon this is this is um my favorite way to describe it is internal self-reliance so remember when i was talking about 10th house a few minutes ago 10th house is the polarity partner to the fourth house Okay, so I was talking a lot about people can rely on me. People know I'm trustworthy. People know I'm a, a fucking boss with X, Y, Z. So they come to me. Well, that doesn't become until the internal reliance is experienced first in the fourth house and developed within the fourth house. Emotional self-authority, internal self-reliance. That's fourth house, that's cancer, that your moon has a lot to do with that as the ruler of cancer in the fourth house. Um, and that all happens through our, our emotions. And, and remember when I said there's a membrane that is developed between the internal self and the external self? That's called the ego. We get a sense of self in a way that we haven't had before. So moving on to the fifth house, fifth house is ruled by the sign of Leo, naturally, and therefore the planet that rules uh, or excuse me, the luminary that rules Leo is the sun. This is our place of creative self-expression. 
And I'm not just talking painting and singing and drawing and stuff like that. Yes, art comes from this place. Art can come from this place. It has to come from this place. But when I say creative self-expression, I'm talking about we are never not creating. Remember, you know, me talking about our internal experience, creating our outer experience that's, you know, reflected back to us. This is, this is a lot of that. Whatever you're experiencing, you have created. Now, small aside, we all suffer. Are we the authors of our own suffering? In a way, because we, there's nothing that we experience that we don't create in some way, fundamentally. Um, our, when we identify as victims, or when we are mistreated, when we are traumatized, uh, when we experience trauma at the hands of another, is that because we were asking for it? Fuck no. Absolutely not. These are, these are not the same. These are not the same things. I'm talking fundamental physics level energetic manifestation kind of stuff. So going back to Leo, if we're never creating, never not, excuse me, never not creating, what voice are we creating from? Are we creating from a sense of authenticity or are we creating because we're from a place of trying to fit in and trying to be something else or somebody else? Creating from another voice, we could say. Expressing from and trying to use another voice, we could say. The journey of the fifth house and of creative self-expression of Leo and of the sun is the, the purification of our own sense of authenticity, the bravery, the courage, heart, core, the, cur- the wholehearted courage it takes to continue to try to be our most authentic selves and only express from that place of pure self-authenticity, this creates the the most vibrant radiance possible, i.e. the sun. Oh, there's Squint again, my cat. Um, The food bowl must be empty. (laughs) Um, The sun can only shine brightly when it is in itself, when it's feeling itself, okay? So in the fifth house, that is our journey. We we are learning how to be in love with our most authentic selves, okay? Not just trying to be in love with the stuff that we think we can control and color inside the lines and, you know, try to try to be who the outer world thinks that we should be or how we feel safest being in the outer world. Mm -mm. No, through our whole incarnation, we will be journeying um, toward a more and more pure, pure sense of self-authenticity and therefore creatively self-expressing from that place into our greatest radiance. Uh, Moving on into the sixth house, ruled by Virgo, naturally, uh, co-ruled planetary-wise by Mercury and Chiron. Virgo's the last stop before we get to the outer world, before we get to the upper half of the uh, zodiac, of the chart. And as such, it's Vir- Virgo has a very special job. Um, Virgo takes, and I'm oversimplifying here because it's astrology and stuff, uh, Virgo takes the, the previous five signs, um, Aries through Leo, 
and filters and goes through everything, all of the evolution that has been experienced here. And, excuse me, and decides what is meant to be let go, uh, not taken onward into the journey, into uh, the objective evolution, the top half of the chart. Uh, and what is to be kept? What is most important here? What do I want to keep? What do I want to not keep? What do I want to let go of? And um, as Chiron is the, the co-ruler of Virgo, uh, you know, since 1977, uh, when we came into a, a physical awareness of Chiron, um, and therefore we came into astrological awareness of the importance of our healing journey, etc. Virgo's the healer of the zodiac uh, on the micro level. Okay, um, Virgo is is of course Virgo is concerned with details because when it's your job to heal the body, when it's your job to, you know, not miss a damn thing before you move onward. Um, you've got to be, you've, you've got to be on those details. And, um, so that is, that's, that's Virgo's role. That's the sixth house role. Um, a lot of times, so I have two outer planets in the sixth house, Uranus and Neptune and people with, um, planetary placements in the sixth house. will we have a lot of expression with like physical healing, like physical shit. Um, be kind of double down with that when you have Neptune, uh, or Chiron in the sixth house. Um, and I have a story that includes multiple autoimmune diseases. Um, but you know, not really getting mired into the details of that. I experience so much evolution through my own physical healing stories. Um, everybody does, of course, but I can only speak from I, the, 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 the specific evolution that I do get accomplished through my physical healing is it's very specific. It is very, um, it's hard to, it's hard to describe it's, it's, but it has a vibe of like, oh, this thing I'm not going to go, I'm not going to move forward until I come into right relationship. I.e., notice I did not say beat this thing. You know, notice I did not say dominate this thing or heal this thing or get rid of this thing. I said come into right relationship with this experience that my body is having. And especially in the past year, um, shit, my healing journey, um, 10 years ago, it was dominance and submission. It is, I'm going to meal. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to nutrition my way out of this shit. <laughs> and I'm going to dominate you with, with all of this knowledge that I'm learning and sometimes medication and sometimes supplements and this practice and that meditation and da da da. It definitely evolved, uh, over the, over the decades as, you know, we tend to do and, um, had some intense physical, um, disease processes happening in the last quarter of, of 2022, um, that required me to, to submit to my body if we want to put it that way. 
And what that means is just listening, just inquiry. It just turns to inquiry. Um, as soon as we step out of domination, submission, power struggles with um, the most humbling, in my opinion, of experiences, i.e. illness, um, as soon as we, we listen and we, we move, we shift into inquiry, that's when, that's when that Virgo magic really, really happens. The, it's the filtering process of like, once we, we get curious and we move into inquiry and we, um, as the preachers would say, we humble ourselves before the Lord, <laughs> we humble ourselves before this lordly thing in front of us, um, we're receiving, we're receiving wisdom. Uh, and softening and allowing our bodies to tell us um, not really what they want us to do, but really coming into a right relationship between mind and body. Uh, neither should be above the self, but definitely when it comes to physical experiences, the mind only has old story to to, um, contribute. The mind only has like old, uh, old idea systems, um, past experiences to, they just have that to contribute. The body is what's actually going through the shit. And the body, when it, when we're talking about physical experiences and as humans, it it could be argued that all we have are, are physical (laughs) experiences. Um, that, um, that, that's we're coming into right relationship. We're, we're really listening to who we need to listen to if we want to divine wisdom from this particular experience, uh, i.e. physical illness um, and healing. So moving on into the seventh house, that is Libra. Uh, Libra's domain. Uh, Venus rules Libra. And Venus rules two, uh, two signs. And I don't think I, I spoke uh, for the first two signs. The first two houses spoke the planetary ruler. Uh, Mars rules Aries, first house. Venus also rules Taurus, second house. Um, Venus as an earth sign shows up, uh, as Taurus shows up very differently as uh, an earthly experience than Venus shows up in um, the air sign Libra, more conceptually, v- this is where Venus is coming into, Venus is the domain of relationship itself. Um, and this is where we, uh, so in Taurus, we come into an experience of our values, what we value as beautiful, what we value as, as sensually important, what we want to, uh, what we value within ourselves that we want to bring more of into our lives. Um, and therefore, what do we, what is that called? That's called coming into relationship with something. If you identify something like, so I identify, I, I feel better when I have flowers around me. Um, it's as simple as that. If if fresh flowers are in the room, I feel good, okay? I love that. And so I then, in Libra, that's a Taurus statement, we could argue. In Libra, how how Venus evolves that is 
what's my relationship to flowers? Um, how do I'm going to, this is valuable to me. So I'm going to put forth effort or energy to increase my relationship with, to make sure I, I, I keep this relationship with this, this particular physical beauty. So I'm going to spend money to buy fresh flowers, or I'm going to spend time and energy and money planting flowers in my yard. Um, so Venus, Libra, it's the relationship of relationship. Um, we get into the fundamentals of, of um, I often say, uh, the polarity partner of, of Libra is Aries. With Aries, it's just me. There's just one person in the room. And for the first six signs, there's just one person in the room, okay? We hop up into Libra, suddenly there's another person in the room. Suddenly it's like, oh, there's another voice. There's another, there's another body literally taking up space. What do I do with that? What's my role here? How much space am I allowed to take up? Uh, how much space are they allowed to take up? Uh, what happens when I come into their space? What happens when they come into my space? Like, think about this in the most fundamental ways. It's our relationship to relationship, our relationship to our bodies, our relationship to other people, our relationship to the earth around us. Um, that's Libra. Moving on into Scorpio, the eighth house ruled by, in traditional times, um, ancient times, ruled again by Mars. Uh, modern uh, times, uh, Scorpio is ruled by um, Pluto. And Scorpio is a fixed water sign. And this is that we, we have, for the first time, we've come into relationship with the outer world in Libra. And then we are meant to go back inward. How does the experience of being in relationship how do, what does that change about us? But kind of most importantly, what does that not even touch? What is so deep that it, it, it is still only my own? But do I want it to remain only my own? What does it feel like to be touched by another? What, what does that feel like? Oh my gosh, there are only, there are experiences that can only be um, let me rephrase this. There are experiences of myself that can only happen if I am touched by another person. What does that tell me about power? How do I, how do I experience my own power individually and with another? What transforms? What alchemizes? Um, Oftentimes, Scorpio in the eighth house, it's described as sex and death because these are the, the times in our life when we are experiencing sex, when we are experiencing death. We can, we can talk liber, uh, liberally. We can talk literally or figuratively here or both. Um, these are the experiences that bring us closest to our own mortality slash immortality. Scorpio is the sign of transformation. Pluto is the planet that demands, desires only evolution, only 
change. So this is a very, very deep, powerful uh, place in our lives. Um, ninth house, Sagittarius. We come up out of the fixed water of Scorpio, uh, having, you know, touched the God self within us, right? Having maybe discovered elements of our own immortality because we made peace with our own mortality in some ways. And that has led us with a, uh, left us with this incredible thirst for wisdom. We have a new perspective and that allows us to look at the world around us and wonder what this new perspective can unlock for us. Uh, Sagittarius ninth house, it's the house uh, ruled by Jupiter house of, of wisdom and searching and seeking and question asking and higher learning, academic, spiritual practice, spiritual teachers, um, traveling the world, looking at the greater world because our Jupiter allows our, our worlds just to be blown wide open, right? Um, and we go on this journey and we create, we find out what, what our truth means, capital T, truth, right? The polarity partnership uh, sign with Sagittarius is Gemini. Gemini is asking all the questions. It wants all the information. It's simply thirsty for information. It's a freaking computer. Information and data, 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 data. Sagittarius takes all that data and is like, yeah, but why? What's the fundamental truth here? Okay. And then that informs our trajectory into Capricorn, who rules the 10th house, ruled by the planet Saturn. And Capricorn is the, is the earth sign, because Sagittarius is a fire sign, um, the earth sign that is able to take that fiery wisdom and actually build shit with it, create systems, create processes, create structures based on the wisdom uh, divined and all the question asking that we did in the previous house. So, and that's why 10th house is that. So, so, you know, it's a good place to call, you know, this is where your career is because you've identified your values. You have, you know, uh, done, you know, um, done the, the, the power structure work of, of eighth house. You've, uh, become curious and gotten higher learning and, and done all the, the, the wisdom teachings within the ninth house. And here's where you build something with all of that and put it out into the world. And other people, this, this whatever you put out into the world, this success, other people identify like, oh my God, look, look how much shit they've gotten done. And look at this good thing. This is, this is um, or and I say good, I rushed into that. This we can say this strong thing. Look at this definitive thing, and um, this is a solid structure. Let's keep building on it, and then we build and we build and we build and we build, and the strength becomes fossilized when it has um, reached its expiration date and passed its expiration date. It becomes fossilized. It becomes outmoded. Moded. I should say. And so that's the transition from Capricorn 10th house into Aquarius 11th house. 11th house is, it's many things. And we're right now, as I'm, I'm delivering this, we are in Aquarius season. 
Venus is in Aquarius as well. Uh, Mercury this week, later this week, is going to move into Aquarius. Saturn's been in Aquarius for the last two years. Um, And Aquarius is where, uh, in, in one fundamental way, Aquarius is the revolutionary needed to break down systems and structures that are outmoded, that are, they're just meant to go. It's a force of evolution. Um, One of my teachers calls, uh, refers to Aquarius as freedom from the known. Capricorn 10th house is the known. And the 11th house is freedom from the known. Okay. Um, So there's a, uh, Uranus is the modern ruler of Aquarius. Saturn is the traditional ruler of Aquarius. And I'm not going to get into that this episode. Um, this isn't, that's another feeding ground for like more fights <laughs> amongst astrologers. Um, so I personally utilize Uranus and I understand Saturn, of course, being this ruler. I personally more identify with Uranus as ruler of Aquarius in the 11th house. Uranus is this, um, this lightning bolt that plows into and and disrupts anything that is meant ready. The the force of evolution is meant to be disrupted. Um, uh, Aquarius 11th house, it's a fixed air sign. It is freedom from the known is it's like at this, it's a free fall. You fall out of the known of whatever reality you thought was capital T true, not just capital T true, but only true. This is the only truth. And it's the only thing that's right for me. And it's going to be right forever. And then Uranus kicks you out of the nest. And, you know, not a perfect metaphor, even though when you're falling, there's a movement of air. Pretend you're falling through space. There's no air. It's still. There's nothing but space. Space is the ultimate freedom from the known or like right at the top, uh, you know, summit as, um, Jaleesa Cypress, she really poetically really cool described it. Um, Aquarius is that still air at the top of the mountain and you look down and you can see everything because that's another, that's another facet of Aquarius is you've got freedom from the known because you're so pulled back. You're so objective. You've gone through, you're in the 11th house, bitches. You've gone through all of this and you have the objectivity that is a direct result of all of your experience. So you're so zoomed back. It's I liken it to the lifeguard, you know, sitting up on the high chair, able to, not in the water yet with people, not in the water, but able to see everybody and They have to be up there so that they can see everybody. Aquarius 11th house is the collective, capital C collective. It's the greater collective consciousness. Getting into psychology, it's kind of the collective unconscious, but whatever. Um, And if the 10th house rules like this consensus thinking, it's tradition, you know, as Fiddler in the Roof puts it, as Tevye puts it. Tradition, because it's always been done this way. And if we don't have tradition, then we don't have anything. Who are we? Well, Aquarius is freedom from that. 
freedom from the known, it's independence. And then we move into Pisces, 12th house, interdependence, interdependence. Pisces is where the collective that, you know, we can still see bodies in the water. Pisces is the lifeguard is in the water now and there's no hierarchy because nobody's drowning because everything is water. <laughs> everything dissolves into water. Um, the hierarchy is gone. Uh, the authority, there's no authority. Um, there's no authority. I should say there's no authoritarian structure, right? There's no me over you or you over me. Um, there is, we are all one like those shampoo bottles, <laughs> you know, all is one, one is all, um, they, Pisces is mutable water, it's a mist, Pisces is the 12th house, Pisces is the collective conscious, um, sometimes, again, we can switch these around, arguably, collective unconscious, it's the, um, it's our, it's that which should not, it doesn't need to be seen directly. It's very peripheral, ruled by the planet Neptune in modern astrology, traditional astrology, Jupiter rules Pisces. Um, Neptune, it's very misty. It's dream state. It's the, it's, I, I start, I've started really identifying it as quantum. It's the quantum. It's everything exists all at once, everything, everywhere, all at once. And when we get to that place, what are we experiencing? Love. It's unconditional love. It's, uncon it's, it's healing on the macro level. Remember Virgo, sixth house? Well, Virgo's polarity partner is Pisces. So Virgo's healing on the micro level. Pisces is healing on the macro level. And um, I'm a Pisces moon and Mercury. So um, boundaries and speaking in watercolors are very, <laughs> for many of you, I'm sure frustrating. But um, it's like uh, I have this experience of peripherally, people understand me in the periphery, okay? Uh, my, my words themselves may not make sense, but the message within and around and behind the words, you're feeling it, you're hearing it, you're feeling it, you're experiencing it. Um, Pisces, the 12th house, um, 12th house is purposefully unidentifiable, um, personally and individually on the individual level, 12th house placements are massively spiritual. They are like the, like quantum, they're outside of time and space. Um, they simply are. And that's why, so for instance, both of my kids, God bless them, have 12th house Saturns. And Saturn, we'll get into this later, but Saturn is a very heavy uh, lesson learning Unavoid no planet's avoidable, but Saturn's kind of the most unavoidable planet. It's just gonna insert itself like gravity. You can't avoid gravity here, so you can't avoid Saturn. Um, and they have these 
these planets in there. They have Saturn in their 12th house. And, um, and so the, the experience and, and Mars recent Mars is still in my 12th house. You just can't get away from the themes. There's no, it feels existential because it is existential. Um, anything that shows up in the, the, the 12th house is going to require an existentially, uh, existentially tinged conversation with you. Okay. Um, of where unconsciousness meets consciousness, but not really all the way. Um, things showing up uh, in the 12th house, a lot of like, a lot of people who are globally known, a lot of people who uh, like global artists, they have uh, 12th house suns, or they have like 12th house mercuries. Um, if they're like writers or, or informers and, th and things like that. Um, because it is the collective. Um, and so that, that was Pisces. That was the 12th house. And that, there we go. That was a journey through the houses. Um, obviously, next time when we talk about the signs, we're going to talk more, focus next time more on the signs. But I'm still going to talk about the houses. And I'm still going to talk about the planets. Um, and because as you could tell, this time around, um, this was, uh, this was about the houses, but I talked a lot about the signs and I talked some about the planets, um, because these are, they're all describing the same way, uh, same things I should say in different ways. All right. That's it for today. Thank you as always for being here. So that's it for this episode of Astrology and Stuff. You can come back each Wednesday for new episodes, and you also have two ways to get weekly bonus episodes. One on my Patreon page, just search Astrology and Stuff Podcast, or you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Bonus episodes are weekly peeks into the planetary transits where we can get into the astrology of the week, and how that may be affecting you in your neck of the woods. Each episode of Astrology and Stuff is written, recorded, edited, and mixed by me, Sampriti Ireland. The music you hear is an original work by Angel Wing. And again, thank you for being here.